This Week on Geeksplained. With the Birds of Prey hitting theaters this week, we're getting you prepped and ready by taking a look at the best stories featuring Gotham's premier vigilante team and the clown princess of crime. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about the Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey is officially hitting theaters this Friday as of this recording, and so you know what time it is. It's time for another episode of Comics Catch-Up. This is the segment where I talk about the best stories starring the characters that are hitting the silver screen, and this time we're going to be looking at the Birds of Prey. Of course, we also have our brand new weekly review where we're going to be taking a look at the current season of Doctor Who and playing a little catch-up on the episodes that we missed. And of course, rounding us out, we have this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and also we have some news for you this week. Um, first off, of course, we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No comics news this week, but miscellaneous news, we're going to start off there because I think that kind of feeds into the rest of uh, some of the news in the other two categories, film and TV. Um, in miscellaneous news, uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54, I think at this point, uh, I just... C L I V, and I don't know what that means specifically in Roman numerals, but I'm gonna say 54. Um, Super Bowl 54 uh, was this past Sunday, and congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they defeated the San Francisco 49ers in a, yeah, a a fine game. It was a fine game. Um, I thought the game was incredibly competitive in the first half, but uh, the second half was a little um, I don't know shaky for me. But either way, um, Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs, great job. But the big thing that came for me out of the Super Bowl were some trailers. Got some trailers in both film and TV, so I'm going to talk about those first, and then we'll roll into the other stuff. So going into film, uh, we saw a new trailer for Black Widow. Just a quick TV spot, no new information really besides saying that, you know, oh, Natasha had a family before the Avengers, which we already knew. Um, the big thing that came out of that was that Marvel and Disney released new character posters following the release of this commercial, and they look fine. Um, they're basically for our four leads of the film. I'm still really excited for uh, David Harbour's Red Guardian. He's probably the person I'm excited for the most in this film, but... Um, yeah, so we got that. Uh, we also got a brief uh, spot for Fast and the Furious 9. We got a longer trailer earlier this week, or earlier last week, I guess. This weekend? At at some point in the past seven days, we got a full-on trailer. This was more of a uh, uh, kind of a trimmed-down version. But it looks dumb. It looks just completely mindless and i will be watching it in the theaters so <laughs> i i have a soft spot for these films um no matter how dumb they get no matter how ridiculous they get um it it just brings me in every single time and this one features john cena as dom toretto's brother so that should be fun it'll be a fun time um ridiculous stunts and just Completely disobeying the laws of physics is what Fast and Furious movies do nowadays, so I'm in. Uh, we also got, for me, the big uh, the big news 
for uh, TV was the Disney Plus Marvel Studios trailer uh, showcasing footage from three from the three upcoming uh, Marvel Studios uh, Disney Plus shows, that being Loki, WandaVision, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, we got footage from all three. I heard rumors going into the Super Bowl that we were going to see uh, trailer footage for Falcon and Winter Soldier. So I was expecting that and I was hopeful for that, but I did not expect the uh, look at WandaVision and the extremely brief look at Loki at the very end. Um, just kind of showcasing him in a prison of some kind. Uh, the WandaVision stuff I was super into because it's basically showing uh, different versions of sitcom sets featuring uh, Wanda and Vision throughout different, it looks like, eras. Like, I could pinpoint, like, a 60s era, 70s era, an 80s era. Uh, the thing that people have latched onto a lot is uh, the classic comic book Scarlet Witch costume that we finally get to see Elizabeth Olsen wearing. It's obviously a low-rent, uh, probably a Halloween costume for a Halloween episode. I am super into it. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. This film it or this show is supposed to lead into uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I don't know exactly how, especially now that uh, Doctor Strange 2 has lost its director and they are rudderless, but I'm really excited about it. But I can't say that I was the most excited about what I saw there. I was the most excited about what I saw with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm just so freaking excited about this show, guys. I cannot tell you how happy I was to see the footage that we saw uh opening up on a shot of the new uh sam wilson shield him training with it and probably being real bad at it uh short-haired bucky hunting down baron zemo uh super super excited about all the stuff there we got a brief shot for just a minute or just a second really of uh u.s agent running probably to some kind of like announcement ceremony uh, but overall, I really, really dug what they were showing us. I'm really excited for the uh, Marvel shows. A lot of people have kind of uh, made the statement, and I kind of feel the same way, that I might be more excited about the Phase 4 shows than I am about the Phase 4 films. Uh, it's close, but I I still hold the uh, the distinction that out of all the Phase 4 stuff, I'm still the most excited about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's going to be good, and I'm excited about it. Uh, going back into film to wrap that up before we jump into some more TV news, uh, we got an announcement from Lin-Manuel Miranda on Twitter that Hamilton is coming to theaters. And not theater theaters, movie theaters. Um, and rather than them remaking it into a musical film like they are doing with In the Heights, which I'm also still really excited about, they have announced that Hashtag Hamilfilm will be a full-on just filmed uh, theater production with the original Broadway cast, and that it's just going to hit theaters. They're going to record a performance and then put it out. I am super excited about this. As someone who just can't afford Hamilton tickets. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it kind of sucks for uh, current Hamilton um, touring companies that, oh, why would I spend money to go see this, you know, live performance of it when I can just watch it for, you know, much less money in a movie theater. Um, I still think that Hamilton is worth seeing in person in the theater and I am definitely going to see it at some point but I'm really excited for the people who aren't going to be able to do that to be able to see it in a movie theater should be really cool now diving into tv news we've got uh three pieces of news that I want to talk about uh two featuring Netflix and one featuring not Netflix so we're going to talk about the first not Netflix one uh and that is that the good place has officially come to an end after its final season uh its final episode aired this past week I am not caught up I am caught up all the way to the point to the start of the newest season I'm waiting for it to hit Netflix so that we can watch it, um, but I have heard it's incredibly emotional, and I'm very excited to watch it, even though I know it's probably going to destroy me. Uh, jumping into the Netflix stuff, uh, we got the announcement that The Witcher 
starring Henry Cavill, is getting a spin-off animated film. I don't know if it's an animated film or an animated show. I think it's an animated film. Um, that is going to be coming to Netflix as well, kind of in the interim between the first and second seasons of The Witcher, which supposedly, rumor is, is going to be focusing on uh, Geralt's uh, Witcher mentor. So I'm down for more Witcher. From what I saw from the first season, I loved it. I really am excited to see how uh, in animation they can elevate that, which brings us to our other piece of news, and that is that Castlevania Season 3, speaking of Netflix animation, has been official, has been given a release date. Uh, it is going to be dropping on March 5th, so just a week from uh, today that we are dropping this episode, and I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, if you haven't heard or if you haven't listened to our uh previous two reviews of Castlevania. We did an episode on Castlevania Season 1 and an episode on Castlevania Season 2. Go back through the archives, check that out. Um, overall, I think Season 1 was much stronger than Season 2. Season 2 kind of felt like it was in a holding pattern, and I really didn't like the um, the finale of Season 2. So I'm hoping that with Season 3, I will be watching it, um, that they can kind of rebound and make use of the most interesting parts of Season 2 that they left open uh, for them to tell. And yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to both of these animated shows coming to Netflix. And overall, TV is stacked this year, even though it is uh, leaving behind some shows like The Good Place. Uh, I'm really excited for the future of TV, and it's it's going to be a good year. 2020 might just be the year where TV really, truly does overtake film. So I'm excited about it. That is it for the news. Uh, lots of exciting stuff to talk about. Lots of exciting stuff to look forward to. But uh, right now, we're going to head on into the main course, the entree, if you will, of this episode of the podcast, which is our latest comics catch-up episode on The Birds of Prey. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I really enjoy the Birds of Prey. To me, the Birds of Prey are kind of the premier crime fighting team in Gotham. Like, Batman has his Bat family, sure, but they're normally um, operating as solo acts. And really when it comes down to team-based crime fighting, it's either the GCPD or it's the Birds of Prey. And for me, uh, the Birds of Prey have always been a really interesting team. The team dynamic's always really interesting. The fact that it was born out of um, Barbara Gordon trying to make a difference after she was crippled by the Joker during the killing joke is just a fascinating story and a fascinating um prompt with which you can build stories off of uh the team has had a bunch of different members throughout the uh years long uh history of the team but for me it kind of goes back to that classic core team that being oracle huntress and black canary and while I was kind of doing uh, my research, doing my due diligence for this episode, and rereading comics that I haven't read in a little while, um, I remembered just how much I like that dynamic, the three of them coming together from different backgrounds, different um, experiences, and really making a story and a team and a comic that's super interesting to read and I think that's one of the things that made me super excited when they announced that Birds of Prey was going to be a film. Now I've made it pretty clear on this podcast I think how I feel about them putting Harley Quinn front and center uh, making her kind of overshadow the team and turning it more or less into a Gotham City Sirens and less of a Birds of Prey but 
Overall, I'm really hopeful for this film. Every trailer that I see makes me more hyped to see the film, and I just, I really want this to be good. So, in the spirit of enjoying this team, of reading their stuff, of enjoying the film that is hopefully going to knock our socks off, uh, we're doing another Comics Catch-Up episode. The Comics Catch-Up episodes are some of my favorites that we do on this podcast, and if you're not familiar, Comics Catch-Up segments are where I take a popular team, a popular character that's releasing either in a film or I'm sure we're going to be doing plenty of them for the Disney Plus shows and taking a look at some of my favorite stories featuring those characters. So I've got my list here. Um, It kind of spans the entire history of the team. So let's just go ahead and dive on in. So the very first one that I have to recommend that I have to recommend is simply Birds of Prey Volume 1, written by Chuck Dixon with art by Gary Frank and Greg Land. This is the story. This is the book that establishes the original team. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, the original team wasn't really so much of a team, but more of a duo, a crime-fighting dynamic duo, if you will. That being the duo of Barbara Gordon as Oracle and Dinah Laurel Lance as Black Canary. Uh, The two of them came together basically by accident and by happenstance, and in this story, they come together and they establish this crime-fighting duo out of the uh, huge events for Barbara Gordon. She had just recently started to insert herself back into the fold of the superhero community after being shot and crippled by the Joker during the killing joke. Um... And this is just one of my favorite takes on Barbara Gordon. I know she's more well-known as Batgirl and probably um, more well-accepted as Batgirl. But for me, the most interesting Barbara Gordon, the most um, courageous Barbara Gordon, and the most, I think, iconic Barbara Gordon is really this um, wheelchair-bound survivor of trauma and someone who rises above that trauma and that vicious tragedy that she suffered to turn her life into something that she finds meaningful and something that she is um, able to use to continue to contribute to the superhero community that she has always been a part of. And so this really puts a spotlight on Barbara Gordon and really lets you know that, hey, I don't care if she's not donning the Batgirl suit anymore. She still kicks ass. Uh, This is shortly after she had started to become the information center for the Justice League under her Oracle guise, kind of being the eyes and ears when it comes to tech, when it comes to um, information throughout the DC universe. And bringing her on as essentially the general sending out Black Canary to do the legwork is just so much fun. Their dynamic is really cool. Uh, Also seeing as how Black Canary Dinah has been a crime fighter for a lot longer than Oracle has. And so the two of them having to bounce off of each other when it comes to their dynamic is really fun to read. Uh, This story also introduces both uh, the Huntress, Helena Bertinelli, as well as Catwoman as temporary additions to the team. They aren't permanent additions yet, but both of them come and go throughout this story. And overall, the reason I like this story so much is because at its core, it's really a grounded, focused story centered around Gotham. The two of them make their um, make their base of operations inside Gotham and come to uh, grow not just as teammates, but as crime fighters in this um in this uh, theater of crime that Gotham City really is. Uh, There are a couple brushes with the idea of, oh, you know, what's going on with Batman? What does he think of this? And uh, later stories in this run would deal with that, with him directly coming into contact and sometimes in conflict with Batman. But this story really is the birth of the idea of the Birds of Prey and really sets the groundwork for all of the stories that come after it. Next up, we have Birds of Prey of Like Minds. Uh, This is volume one of the iconic Gail Simone and Benes run. This is the most well-known run with the most well-known creators. Uh, Gail Simone really uh, rose to prominence in DC Comics through her run on Birds of Prey, later on Batgirl, uh, throughout a 
bunch of different characters, but this is really the run that put the Birds of Prey on the map. Uh, this established the team as Oracle, Black Canary, and Huntress. That dynamic, the fact that Huntress uh, does not like taking orders from Oracle and really does not see uh, Black Canary's experience as anything more than her being an outdated relic of... Um, an older crime-fighting style. Uh, Helena Bertinelli really brings that almost uh, Jason Todd-like energy to the team, where she's brash, she's overconfident, she's kind of ruthless. Uh, at this point, Huntress was just kind of working her way out of killing her enemies, and she comes from a mob background, so she's got a lot of viciousness, a mean streak that has to be tempered over the course of this story. And uh, overall, this story really is the... I would say probably the best jumping on point if you want to take a look at some of the best Birds of Prey stories. This is the beginning of Gail Simone's run, like I said, and it sets up everything that everyone really knows and associates with the Birds of Prey nowadays. And overall, I mean, it's just a great story. Gail Simone has such a great voice for each of these characters, making all of them feel and sound and just... Um, interact in different ways uh oracle does not look at situations the same way that black canary does and neither of them look at situations the same way that huntress does and having that dynamic watching them grow as a team really is a absolute joy to read and i'm a big fan of it uh this is like i said the starting point for a run that you could read all the way through and really get your fix on birds of prey for me this is really kind of the um the origin point for that run for this team uh throughout this run other characters like catwoman uh do join the team again on a temporary basis but this really is a run that starts great and gets even greater so i cannot recommend it enough at number three we have Tr birds of prey trouble in mind this is written by Dwayne, and i know i'm gonna screw this up but i'm just gonna go for it uh Dwayne swerzynski I probably mispronounced your name, and I apologize. With art by Jesus Saez. And this brings the Birds of Prey into the new 52. This is a new team, and it kind of gives the reason I'm putting this on here. Um, this was not what I would say an iconic run for the Birds of Prey, but going back and rereading this, this really um, sets up the kind of vibe that I think they're going for with the team in the film. Uh, this is a brand new team. It doesn't involve um, Huntress, which is big because Huntress at this point uh, by 2011 was an iconic member, was someone who was through the team throughout their trials and tribulations. But this team in the New 52 consists of Black Canary, Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, because at the beginning of New 52, for those of you who aren't aware, um, they say that all of Batman's history happened, but in a much shorter time. And I guess DC editorial wanted Barbara Gordon back as Batgirl. So they did this weird thing that I still don't really agree with, where uh, she had her career as Batgirl, was shot and paralyzed, became Oracle, set up the Birds of Prey, and then found some kind of... Um, a miracle cure to give her the ability to walk again which threw her back into being Batgirl it's a whole thing I'm not a huge fan of it again I think that once she became Oracle Barbara Gordon really hit the peak of her uh, storytelling um, value not that she doesn't have value as Batgirl but I think she's just so much more interesting as Oracle and I think that that opened the door for characters like Cassandra Kane, like Stephanie Brown to really take the um the archetype of Batgirl and run with it so anyway this team like I said consists of Black Canary uh Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, Katana, Poison Ivy, and Starling and the reason that I think that you should read this if you're getting ready to see uh, the film this Friday, as of this recording, um, is because the vibe is very similar to what we know about the film. Uh, Starling comes from a mob background and makes some choices that put her on the run and in opposition to the local uh, mafia ties. And so that puts her directly into the stratosphere of Black Canary and Batgirl, um, with them basically trying to protect her at the same time, uh, teaming up with Katana, who made her live-action appearance in the Suicide Squad film that precedes Harley Quinn, or 
Ah, I say it every time. Uh, Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn. Um, and then having Poison Ivy, having, again, that villain that is so closely tied to Harley Quinn really sets up the vibe that I think is going to be... Um, pretty prominent when we look at this uh when we look at this film that's coming out also jesus saez i cannot stress enough his art is absolutely gorgeous um i've been a fan of his for many different books most recently through the uh dr strange book on uh in Marvel with uh, Mark Wade, he was fantastic I love what he's doing right now he's currently uh the artist on the new Star Wars book that takes place directly after Empire Strikes Back, and just so good. He's so good. Um, overall, this story really is kind of a fresh take on uh, the Birds of Prey, their formula, their kind of stories, uh, introducing characters who, um, just like the Huntress when she joined the team, had kind of a shady past and really getting them to a point of redemption. Obviously, characters like Poison Ivy wouldn't stay there, and Starling doesn't stay there either. But having that dynamic of these people coming from different backgrounds and coming together as the Birds of Prey really speaks to the spirit of the film. Uh, next up, we have Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, Volume 1. Uh, this is written and illustrated by Julian Shauna Benson, who are an incredible team. I love them. Uh, and this is, just like uh, the previous entry on the list, another um, era intro for the Birds of Prey, this being the Rebirth era that started in 2016. I think it's 2016. I'm pretty sure. Um this story kind of brings together the classic team, but has a new take on them. Uh, this does have your classic trio of Barbara Gordon, uh, Black Canary, and Huntress. But uh, Huntress is very different from her from her incarnation pre-New 52. Uh, really, this is almost a completely new reboot for the excuse me, for the team once again, uh, after the already huge reboot of the New 52. But this story um, is really interesting just on the uh, just on the premise, which is Birds of Prey versus Oracle. That's right, Barbara Gordon is not Oracle anymore, and someone has taken up the mantle of Oracle using all of her resources and is now going to war with the Birds of Prey. And what I love about this is that, again, just like the idea behind the New 52, uh, the New 52 volume of the story, this story really shakes up the formula when it comes to these characters. And this time, it's with the classic team. Uh, Huntress is an ex-spy from Spiral. Uh, she's fantastic. This is probably the best version of her since that original incarnation uh, from way back when. And I'm a big fan of it. Dinah has also gone through a bunch of stuff when it comes to Rebirth. Rebirth really was about setting right the wrongs of the New 52. So having them together along with uh, Barbara Gordon, who has gone from Batgirl to Oracle back to Batgirl, is really interesting. Um, there are some discrepancies when it comes to her character. Uh, this is post uh, Batgirl of Burnside, where they for all intents and purposes, de-aged her and made her uh, a teenage, or a, I guess it could be late teens, early 20s, but really uh, hit a soft reset on her character, making her more youthful, um, essentially taking away all of the character development that she'd had as Oracle. So it's, um, it's an interesting and a new dynamic that you have to get used to when you read this volume, uh, specifically when you're talking about uh, Huntress, who at this point has just become Huntress, but she is treating Batgirl like a child, and so is Black Canary to a certain extent. Um, it's interesting, but overall, the uh, the spirit of that original team really shines through here. Um, also, what I think is probably one of the most uh, important bits of this is that it's the most recent run um there is a supposed run that was a run that wasn't a run that is supposed to be a run again um called uh harley quinn and the birds of prey that's going to be coming out next month i believe uh from dc comics that will be putting together harley quinn with huntress and black canary but um up and 
until that comes out, this is the most recent run of Birds of Prey. Uh, it has the traditional team that you all know and love, and it puts them at odds with the idea of Oracle, uh, which does put Barbara Gordon through a lot, even though, again, uh, post-Backerl of Burnside, she had lost a lot of the stuff that made her such a compelling character. So I think this is a great story, once again, written and illustrated by Julian Shauna Benson, who are a just a really um, unsung team. They are super underappreciated, and I really, really enjoy whatever they get to work on. So that is our uh, number four on this list. At number five, we're switching gears. Uh, these last two, um, uh, these last two installments on the list aren't actually comics, which I know is kind of breaking the formula, but I had to include them on this list because they are important. They are super important, and I think you should be um, watching these. And both of these are uh, cartoons. This first one is uh, the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon. First of all, if you have never watched this show, it is incredible. Um, it was made to be a kind of light and fluffy um, Saturday morning cartoon version of Batman. Uh, Diedrich Bader plays Batman to perfection, and it was supposed to be like a fun uh, Silver Age style romp through the DC universe where Batman teams up with a different um, lesser known hero every single week. But this episode specifically, you should watch the entire show, it's incredible, because it over time it grew out of being uh, just for kids and became one of the best um, interpretations and adaptations of Batman's character. But this episode specifically called The Mask of Matches Malone is a fantastic episode and it features this uh, this universe's incarnation of the Birds of Prey. Now, Batgirl doesn't appear at all in this show. Um, there's a couple like passing mentions to Barbara Gordon and showing her um, I think once or twice uh, but Batgirl really doesn't appear because they were focused on uh, bringing in characters who were kind of lesser known to audiences. Characters like Guy Gardner, um, Jaime Reyes, Blue Beetle, Red Tornado, those kind of characters. But this one features an all-new lineup, um, which really isn't super all-new because it just switches out Batgirl for Catwoman. But uh, Black Canary and Huntress had long tenures on this show prior to this episode and so did Catwoman but bringing them all together in this episode is really fascinating uh the story is self-contained you don't have to watch any other episodes from this show to enjoy this and just like the best um uh the best Birds of Prey stories it's Birds of Prey versus the mob what more could you want uh the basic premise behind this story is that Batman during an during a, a venture undercover as matches Malone basically gets bopped on the head forgets that he's Batman and goes directly into this matches Malone persona uh, eventually becoming basically the kingpin of crime in Gotham and so Black Canary Huntress and Catwoman all who at this point in the show have all had romantic ties one way or another with Batman um, team up to rescue him uh, this also features the song that you heard on the intro to this segment. One of the best, um, one of the best inclusions in Batman uh, media ever, and probably one of the best things Birds of Prey ever as well. I'm a sucker for um, for superheroes and music, and having them just suddenly break into a uh, an old school. Um, I don't even know how to equate it, but an old school jazz number really, really sells us and sends us home. Uh, side note also, um, Music Meister episode for this series. Fantastic. But this episode really is a fun take on the Birds of Prey while, again, swapping out Batgirl with Catwoman and really brings the spirit of that team forward and teases that there might be more adventures with this team going forward. There aren't, spoiler alert, but this as a self-contained story is really fun. And then finally on the list, the last bit, the last one that I had to include, I went back and forth, but because... Um, 
this film is not just featuring the Birds of Prey, but also heavily featuring Harley Quinn, I had to include the current DC Universe Harley Quinn cartoon. Um, if I haven't made it clear enough, I love this show. It is so good. It's probably Harley at her best currently across DC media. Um, I'll have to, I guess, re configure that if uh, birds of prey knocks my socks off uh this week but really this takes everything that you love about harley quinn without um over i guess um without trying to over adjust her so that she's dc's deadpool uh, and really getting to the core of the character while also making it so fun to watch. Uh, this also features Harley as part of a team, as the film uh, does, except her team's a little different. So her team includes Poison Ivy, because they're BFFs, obviously, but also characters like King Shark, Dr. Psycho, and Clayface. And the take on Clayface in this show is probably my favorite version of Clayface outside of the uh, Rebirth Detective Comics version. Um, but it's so good. This team is so good. The show is amazing. Um, I believe they're up to episode 9. But overall, the show's fantastic and it really deserves your time. It's on DC Universe if you have that app or streaming service. And it's so good. It's so good. And it's also... Just in general, one of the best DC properties currently going when it comes to all over the board. Across the board, if you're looking at comics, film, TV, video games, whatever, this is probably one of the best things that DC Comics has going. Um, I just, I love this so much. It's it's right up there for me. It's not, I would say it's a very close second to Doom Patrol when it comes to DC Universe um, original content but this it takes all of the stuff you know and love about uh batman's universe and also features Diedrich bader as batman again just pitch perfect um and really kind of turns it on his head uh harley quinn starts off the show uh distancing herself from the joker and trying to find out where she fits in the world now that she's not his sidekick uh it features characters from deep cut Batman and DC lore and features my boy, the greatest Batman villain ever, Kite Man. So um, it just it's an excellent show, absolutely worth your time, and I think is gonna be up there as one of the most um, one of the most prominent and iconic pieces of Harley Quinn's history of that character. So those are my picks for our comics catch up. That includes uh, a little bit of cartoon love as well. Uh, to recap for you real quick, uh, we've got the uh, classic birds of prey volume one by Chuck Dixon, Gary Frank and Greg land. We have uh, birds of prey of like minds volume one of the Gail Simone Ed Benes run. Uh, birds of prey trouble in mind. The first volume of the new 52 run with Dwayne, Swarzynski and Jesus Saez. We have Batgirl and the Birds of Prey Volume 1 by Sh Julian Shauna Benson of the Rebirth Era. We have the the Batman Brave and the Bold episode, The Mask of Matches Malone. And we have, just in general, the Harley Quinn DC Universe cartoon. So if I missed anything, if you have a favorite uh, Harley Quinn or Birds of Prey story, feel free to let me know. I always love uh, discovering new comics, as you all know. And I, I'm just really excited for this film to come out. I'm hoping that when it does come out, I can slap it on this list as, my as one of my favorite Birds of Prey stories. I am hopeful. I'm hopefully optimistic. Uh, this really does feel like a, um, a director-driven and, I guess, I mean, truthfully, Margot Robbie-driven uh, story that really doesn't uh, have too much uh, DC executive or Warner Brothers executive oversight. So... Just overall, I'm really excited about The Birds of Prey as a team, and I'm really excited to see the film this Friday. Dun 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 d
I love the Doctor Who theme. Throughout all of the different incarnations of the Doctor, whether you're talking about David Tennant, whether you're talking about Peter Capaldi, or even now, um, I'm just, I'm super, super into that theme. Uh, there's a video from uh, back during, uh, back when I was living in Arizona, of, uh, there's a video somewhere of me and uh, my good brothers, um, Andrew, Jacob, and John, where we all kind of did, while we were in line, in full-on Doctor Who cosplay, uh, waiting to meet, um, I believe it was uh, Billy Piper and Alex Kingston. We were in line to do a photo with them. Uh, we There's a video of us doing like an acapella Doctor Who theme. I'm, I'm going to have to find it, but it's so good. I, I love that theme so much. Um, but back on topic, this is your weekly review. Uh, this is the segment where each week I review something and it's brand new. Uh, we wrapped up Arrow uh, Season 8 last week, and with the vote that went up for the poll on uh, Twitter, once again, thank you all for voting in the poll, um, you all decided that Doctor Who is what we are going to be focusing on now. However, this isn't going to be just a uh, just a regular weekly review. This is going to be a weekly review plus a weekly review lightning round because if you remember I did the uh, when we were still doing the wildcard weekly reviews I did a review for the first two episodes of the season that being Spyfall parts one and two but after that each week the show still kept coming out so we've got one two three episodes on top of the episode from this week that we need to cover and talk about so I'm going to talk about uh, episodes 3, 4, and 5 very briefly before we jump into this week's episode, and then we'll be all caught up. So starting off with episode 3, entitled Orphan 55. Um, this episode, I think, for me, is probably the weakest of the season so far. Uh, I like the elements that they brought into it, survival horror, uh, the, the idea of the story being set on a, on a uh, spa vacation on an orphan planet set millions of years in the future. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The creature designs were really nice. But for me, just something was lacking. Um, the I don't think the character uh, dynamics between the characters outside of the TARDIS crew were that strong. And for me, after how strong Spyfall was, this felt like a step back. But they recovered with episode four, which is Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Uh, this episode really was uh, up till that point that this episode came out, my favorite uh, it's really it's just old school sci-fi and it's the first episode of the season set entirely in the past which I love I love when Doctor Who goes in the past and they have to deal with um, characters and uh, time periods that really make things difficult um, this is also a great mystery with a historical figure you know the lead is right in the title uh, Nikola Tesla is fantastic in this episode this also centers around the mystery of this strange glowing orb that Nikola Tesla comes into possession of and overall it's a great um, it's a great invasion story and kind of gave me uh, similar vibes to uh, arachnids in the UK from last season um, except this time it's scorpions which are also terrifying but for me not as terrifying because it's not spiders but overall really like the episode I love when the doctor gets to interact with historical figures and this one really scratched that itch for me and it was my favorite up until last week's episode episode five fugitive of the jadoon uh this is my favorite episode of the season spoilers for uh this past week's episode um and it's just oh it's so good um first of all it reintroduces the jadoon of course as you could tell in the title um and overall this episode really felt like a uh, davies uh, russell t davies era story and not just because it felt very similar to um the episode from the 10th doctor where the jadoon were first introduced but this episode takes place pretty much entirely in uh gloucester i know i said that wrong but that's just how i'm gonna go with it um and i i love this episode it's so fun uh everybody's on the run they're trying to deal with the jadoon there's also this uh underlying mystery on who is the fugitive that the jadoon are looking for you come to find out it's this woman who gets revealed as 
another incarnation of the Doctor? What? And and not only that, but an incarnation of the Doctor who doesn't recognize Jodie Whittaker's Doctor? What? And so this episode really um, sets up uh, Mysteries Abound in this episode and it really sets up a lot of the stuff which i think are going to be uh moving forward this also brought back captain jack uh my buddy again shout out to uh my good brother jacob who had me record my reactions to the episode he texted me um the day after the episode came out because i didn't get to see it right away and he was telling me he's like you gotta watch this episode and you gotta record it i want you to I want you to film yourself watching the episode so we can get your reaction. I was like, okay, that's weird. Uh, so I did it, and the second that he pops up, I just ah, I jumped up. It was fantastic. I, I loved seeing Captain Jack again. Um, as a side note, when I mentioned earlier, um, all of us in Doctor Who cosplay singing the Doctor Who theme, I was in Captain Jack cosplay. Um, love it so much. But... This really um, was a great episode, and it felt like an old-school Doctor Who episode. And when I mean old-school, I mean, like, um, Tenth Doctor. Uh, we've officially gotten to the point where it's been 10-plus years since uh, Doctor Who came back in 2005. So I think we can say, you know, the mid-2000s is old-school for Doctor Who. Um, but I just, I loved the episode. I loved the vibe that it had, the underlying mystery, as well as establishing new mysteries for the rest of the season to solve. This really was the midpoint. There's 10 episodes in the season, so this was the halfway point. So they needed something to really hook people in and get them excited for the back half of the season. Um, the idea that Captain Jack can come back again, uh, the new Doctor, played by Joe Martin, uh, the idea of the last Cyberman, um, just all of these ideas that are going to be explored later on this season I'm really excited about, and it's just a fantastic episode. And then that ends our lightning round and brings us to this week's episode, which was episode number six entitled Praxius. Um, I liked this episode. I don't think I loved this episode. I liked it. I liked the um, the mystery of the um, of the pathogen of the worldwide phenomena that takes uh, our heroes into three different regions. I also loved that having the TARDIS team, who's now you know fairly experienced showing up in three different teams and three different areas i thought was cool in peru uh we have um lifestyle vlogger gabriella run into ryan where birds are falling out of the sky um gabriella's companion uh jamila is infected with something which causes her to explode uh, meanwhile in hong kong uh, former police officer Jake, who is searching for his husband, is encountered by Graham and Yaz, and they are um, they were also brought to that location by the doctor, and they end up encountering these hazmat-wearing alien scientists who shoot at them before they rescue Jake's husband and get out of there. And then in Madagascar, the doctor meets scientist Suki and her assistant Amaru, where they find a U.S. naval officer washed ashore who also is infected with something and explodes. So it sets up this whole thing about the pathogen, um... This idea that it's being spread through the birds. Uh, once again, just like all of, I think, Jodie Whittaker's uh, era so far, it's been very... Um, what's the word? Uh, not preachy, but it's all, all the episodes really have had a message, this one going into pollution. Because when um, they make this... You know, they make it a, a big point to show that the pathogen itself, which is named Praxius, uh, spreads through plastic, which is uh, seen as uh, potential food by birds eaten, and then it infects them, then the seabirds would spread it throughout the world, and that's why the infection was spreading so quickly. Um, they come back to Suki's lab in Madagascar where they find out that Adam, Jake's husband, is infected. Uh, pretty quickly after this, Suki is revealed to be an alien from a uh, from a lost civilization who were also infected by Praxius and to try and find a cure for their remaining population. Suki brought Praxius to the Earth to use it as a, uh, basically as a testing ground, an experiment to see if they could come up with a cure. I loved how when um, the doctor found out 
about Suki's plan, she got very angry. Uh, we haven't seen uh, Jodie Whittaker's doctor super angry, you know, like we've seen uh, Matt Smith, Peter Capaldi, and others. So I liked getting that more serious side of her because she's very fun and she's very. Um, it's exciting to watch her just kind of. Uh, bounce around in her quirky manner but i liked her getting serious i liked her um at first condemning suki but then again coming back to trying to save her um the tardis does eventually make a cure suki injects it with herself but they find out that the cure was made specifically for humans so she dies um and then they have this really for me it was kind of a tired trope where they were like oh man, so this ship, you know, Suki's ship can disperse the cure. We got to send it up into the stratosphere and then it'll explode, sending the cure throughout the globe. Uh, we, we'll send it up in the autopilot. Oh no, autopilot's broken. Somebody has to stay behind. Uh, it's a classic, it's cliche. And I was, I kind of rolled my eyes when I saw that uh, because of course, Jake, who is looking for redemption with his husband, Adam, stays behind. And I'm like, okay, I get, I get what's going to happen here. He flies the ship up. It's about to explode. But they surprised me by saving him. They saved Jake at the very last second. He's able to reunite with Adam, and they're able to kind of rekindle their um, their failed marriage. So that was a nice twist and caught me off guard, so I liked that. Uh, overall, I thought the episode was good. It's not the strongest episode. I would say it's... Uh, right in the middle. It's better than I think Orphan 55. For some reason, I really did not connect with that episode. Um, but it's it's good. I think this season so far has been vastly better than last season, which is, I think, pretty common most often, uh, especially when you look at like David Tennant's Doctor, uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor. Their first seasons were kind of trying to figure out the rhythm and the tone of the character and the show with this new status quo. And now that they've kind of established it, they can start to tell more interesting stories that delve into the history of Doctor Who. So I like it. I would have liked more um, follow-up with what we uh, kind of established last episode but i'm assuming with these next four episodes that close out the season we're going to be getting that so hopefully fingers crossed um but yeah so overall i like the episode wasn't the strongest and i'm looking forward to seeing uh next week's episode the preview looks fantastic it looks like they're diving back into horror which i think doctor who at times works best when it's working with the horror genre so really really excited to see what they do with next week but for now let's hop on over to this week's comics countdown Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop and Comixology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request that at Pod. That's at Pod on either Twitter or Instagram or through email, because I'm an old man, I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. This week, uh, we're looking at five books from across both DC and Marvel. However, before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, no contest. The book that I picked was Hawkeye Freefall number two, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. Um, this story is just so good good i knew it was going to be good but i didn't know it was going to be this good and this much fun honestly um otto schmidt's kinetic art really makes the book just fly by matthew rosenberg has such a great voice for all of the characters he has in his arsenal here and overall it's just it's just a fantastic story uh the twist there is a twist at the end of the issue, which I think is going to uh, seriously shake up how we thought this series was going to go down. So I'm interested. It's a fantastic book. If you haven't picked them up yet, do yourself a favor. Pick up issue one and pick up issue two. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. And this week, we've got five books. It's right on the money. 
that's the one that we started off with when I first started this. I was like, it's got to be five books. And then, of course, it ballooned up and, you know, went up, went down in certain cases. But this week, we got five books, uh, four from Marvel and just one from DC. But let's go ahead and jump into the list. Starting off with Captain America, The End, number one. This is written and illustrated by Eric Larson. And, um... Overall, I think the the end stories have been super strong. I really, really dug last week's uh, Doctor Strange: The End, um, and hopefully, hopefully, this continues that quality. So, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The final Captain America story. Steve Rogers fights for survival in a post-apocalyptic wasteland populated by hordes of red skulls. Legendary writer-artist Eric Larson returns to Marvel for an oversized last tale of Simon and Kirby's American hero. So again, it's pretty simple. The idea behind the the end stories, this is the last story of that specific character, and... I'm really excited for it. It's going to be, I think, a really, really good one. So um, pick this up for sure, especially if you're a Captain America fan. Uh, next up, we have Marauders number 7, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. Um, this book's been real, real good. I've been really enjoying it. Um, I am excited for Stefano Caselli. I love Caselli's art. Um, I, If you haven't picked up West Coast Avengers from last year, just do it. It's a great story, but um, we're talking about Marauders here, and the book has been so freaking good. Uh, last week ended on a huge cliffhanger that I was not prepared for, so I am really excited to see how this issue builds on top of that. So let's just go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The Treasure of Island M. As Verendi's plans against Krakoa grow, the Marauders find themselves missing something vital, something that brings Storm and the White Queen to blows. Artist Stefano Caselli joins the crew of the craziest X-Series of them all. So, he even made it into the synopsis. I love it. Um, this story has been has gone through so many twists and turns from the first issue. Um, really putting Kate pride in the driver's seat i've been loving it and i think you will too next up our one dc inclusion for this week it is batman number 88 written by james tyne in the fourth with art by tony s daniel i am starting to get suspicious i'm gonna let you know before we jump into the synopsis i just want to talk about it real quick um i'm starting to get suspicious especially with the rumors of 5g hitting us uh sometime early in the spring or in the summer i'm i'm suspicious that um james tyne the fourth and tony s daniel is a temporary team because there's all the rumors that with 5g um Luke Fox is going to be taking over as Batman, and whether that's going to bring in a new creative team or James Tynan is going to stay on as writer but keeping Luke Fox. Um, I'm starting to get suspicious because this is the third issue featuring the opening arc. Now, that's not unheard of, typically. Um, I'm the kind of person that I love arcs to be stretched out over you know six, seven issues. But recently, DC has been keeping their arcs pretty self-contained to two to three. And um, I don't think that this is going to be the end of this arc. So I'm interested. The story is super interesting. Again, I already said it before with last issue, but getting serious Arkham Origins vibes from this story. And I love that. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the future of this creative team. So let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis. The conspiracy that will rock Batman's world continues to unfold as the Dark Knight travels to Arkham Asylum to get answers from the Penguin. What dark secret does he share with the Joker, the Riddler, and Catwoman? Plus, the plague of assassins descending upon Gotham City and its weakest moments continues. Will this be the moment when Deathstroke finally takes down Batman? 
Um, I love anytime Deathstroke's brought into a Batman story. I think the two of them work really well together. Their chemistry, regardless of the writer, is super good. And I've been really enjoying the story. So definitely pick this up. Next up, we have Daredevil number 17, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by George Fornes. I love me some Fornes art. Love it. Um, this series I can't praise enough. It's been so good. I wish it was bi-weekly like Batman is, um, but every issue is just stunning. I went back, I picked up the first two, I believe, it might have been, yeah, I think I picked up the first two volumes in graphic novel form, and I, I couldn't wait for the fir- for the third volume to come out, so I just picked up all the back issues from uh, 11 on, and I've been loving this. If you are a fan of Daredevil, if you loved the Daredevil uh, Netflix show, you will love this book. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Target Daredevil. The war in Hell's Kitchen builds as the Owl takes his stab at Wilson Fisk, formerly the kingpin of crime, now mayor of New York. Matt must come to terms with what Daredevil truly means, and he better do it soon, as a new and deadly foe makes a decisive return. So, just good stuff. Just good stuff. Uh, The series, just like the show, really has uh, Matt and Wilson at the center as our two leads, and I've just been loving it. Plus, again, Fornes art. Fornes art, Fornes art. Um, Just, you need to be picking this up if you're a fan of Marvel. But the big book of the week, somehow, not Daredevil 17, the big book of the week for me is X-Men Fantastic Four number one of four. This is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Terry Dodson. Chip Zdarsky is just the golden goose for Marvel right now. But this story is a story that I think a lot of us were um, anticipating and waiting to see. Uh, especially with the tease during Hawkspox, where um, Cyclops, post the establish uh, the establishment of Krakoa, encounters the Fantastic Four and gives the invitation to Franklin Richards. Because if you're not aware, Franklin Richards is a mutant. He is someone who didn't get his powers from cosmic rays like his parents did. He got his powers. As a metahuman, he was born with them. So he is a mutant and therefore is welcome to Krakoa. So I'm really excited about the story. Once again, Chip Zdarsky is getting to write Fantastic Four alongside the X-Men. Terry Dodson's art is also great. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Krakoa. Every mutant on Earth lives there, except for one. But now, it's time for Franklin Richards to come home. It's the X-Men versus the Fantastic Four, and nothing will ever be the same. I mean, come on. Like, it's ah, it's going to be so good. Uh, we've seen in recent years the X-Men go up against various teams. There was uh, Avengers versus X-Men. There was Inhumans versus X-Men. But this, I think, is the most interesting uh, idea for that kind of X-Men versus story. Um, And also the idea that it's only going to be four issues and it's going to be, there's no like two dozen side uh, tie-ins that you have to pick up. This is the story. It's going to be an incredible story. You've got great art, great writing, and I am just so excited to pick this up. And that wraps up this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Captain America The End, number one, Marauders, number seven, Batman, number 88, Daredevil, number 17, and X-Men Fantastic Four, number one of four. If I missed any books, feel free to let me know. I love discovering new books. Um, There's a couple books that I'm interested in that are coming out this week, but for me, it's really these top five that I'm definitely going to be picking up. So I, I'm i just excited. I'm hoping, though, that once this week goes by, we're going to start to see more DC books again. Uh, last week was very Marvel, um, uh, very Marvel heavy. This week, also very Marvel heavy. So hopefully, just like Marvel did at the beginning of January, next week DC will strike back with a vengeance. 
And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening to us all the way through. It really does help us out. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes. really helps us out, gets us out into the podcasting stratosphere and into the uh, realm of listeners just like you. really does help us out. Also, um, feel free to subscribe to us on any podcasting platform uh, and feel free to also get in contact with us about anything that we talked about today Uh, whether it's birds of prey are you excited for the film do you have a favorite uh, birds of prey harley quinn black canary huntress oracle story Uh, would love to have that conversation with you whether you want to get in touch with us in touch with us on uh, social media, whether that's Twitter or Instagram at Pod, or through email because I'm an old man and I still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Also, feel free to uh, send in requests for what you'd like us to cover in the future. I'm always taking requests. Uh, the weekly review that we're doing right now is because of listeners just like you participating in our polls so make sure you follow us on twitter so you don't miss out on any of those future polls that will be deciding the direction of this podcast uh overall i'm really excited uh we've got birds of prey coming out this week as of this recording and i'm excited to check it out we will be doing a geeksplain extra review on the film which i am super stoked about and I, I I just want this to be good. I really want this to be good, especially after going back, rereading some of these Birds of Prey stories, re-watching some of the uh, cartoons that we talked about in the uh, the main course of this episode. I'm overall, I'm on a DC high right now. I'm really excited about all the DC properties that are going on, and I am just hoping that the momentum continues just in general, whether that's DC, whether that's Marvel, a lot of people were talking about how, you know, with Endgame and Infinity War, you know, this is the end of the golden age of comic books. But I'm hoping that it's not the case. I'd like to hold on to it for a little bit while longer. So uh, tune in next week for our next episode, which will be a Geeksplain Spotlight, our uh, monthly segment where we spotlight a specific graphic novel or uh, comic arc. I'm really excited about it. Looking forward to talking about it and discussing it with you folks. So tune in next week for that same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.